you know, social media has kind of opened a pathway. The fact that we can talk more about mental health. All of these things are benefiting the next generation, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't go into the schools and provide a foundation for all of that to build on. And it really depends on us, the generation that are growing now and, you know, creating our own legacies. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Grassroots Radio. I'm your host, Yannick Bird, and this week my guest is Rosalie Richards for part two of our series on sexual health, education, and culture. Rosalie is an Antiguan, an entrepreneur, a digital marketer, living and working in the British Virgin Islands. As someone whose professional life is focused on the online world and social media, Rosalie has had a very unique vantage point from which to comment on the way that technology is influencing our sexuality, especially for the younger generation coming up behind us who will have no experience of the world before or without these technologies. Next week, we will have our final interview in the Sexual Health, Education, and Culture series featuring Zoe Teague. Zoe will be giving us a legal perspective on how the laws of our country can also help to shape our sexuality and sexual behavior. Last but certainly not least, I would like to give a big thank you and much love and appreciation to everyone who participated in our national youth survey. We have closed the submissions as of February 29th. Completing the survey has been a major milestone accomplishment for our organization, and we are very much looking forward to sharing the findings of the survey with all of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you once again. And please continue to support us. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Make sure you're following the new Grassroots on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Grassroots ANU, and that's all you got to do. And now here's Rosalie Richards to tell you who she is. My name is Rosalie Richards. I'm originally from Antigua, but I'm currently living in the British Virgin Islands. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I do marketing, social media, and I'm very passionate about youth and making sure that the next generation um, gets as far as ahead as they can so that we can, you know, push them forward. So that's me. Which island are you primarily based in or do you bounce around? Uh, I'm here in Tortola. I live on Tortola. Um, I have most of my clients here on Totola, but I'm hoping to expand to Virgin Gorda and Yas Van Dyke, which are two other main islands. My primary purpose uh, is helping brands and businesses tell their story through social media. Um, I originally started as a photographer. I kind of fell into social media straight out of university, and uh, I found my sweet spot. And from there, I've been learning the techniques, you know, and the science behind social media to help small businesses and brands in the Caribbean boost their way, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess, through this, uh, this wall of, of 
misinformation so that they can be on a level where they can actually compete with everybody else. And what is your, your educational background? I went to Antigua State College for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and then I left in 2012 and moved to Barbados. I was living in Barbados for seven years. And three of those years, I went to UE. I studied accounting and economics. Amazingly. Wow. Amazing. I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even ask me how that happened. You know, when your parents are like, you need to study something with substance. Yes. Yeah, that was about it. Um, so much for that. Yeah, I know. So I studied it. And then as I was coming out of university, um, I was approached by a, a friend, kind of a colleague. And she asked me, you know, what are you doing this summer? I said, nothing much. She said, okay, I'll offer you an internship to run some marketing for my company. I like your Instagram page. I think it's doing well. I think you have a talent for this. Uh, come and work for me. So I did. And from there, it kind of blossomed into everything else. What makes you particularly interested in sex and the psychological aspects of that? Okay, let me start in the very basic sense of uh, putting yourself online. I think when people decide to put themselves online, from the very beginning, there's a sense of creating an identity that might be separate from who they are, you know, in real life. Most people who go online, you know, feel a sense of bravery and courage, um, a sense of, I guess, inhibition that they might not feel in real life. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of pushes the agenda of becoming more sexual, you know, more open with themselves in a way that they might not be without social media. Um, specifically when it comes to sex, I think, there's a lot of openness that wasn't there before when it comes to social media. I think people are allowed to be more expressive, uh, are allowed to show, show more of themselves, are allowed to kind of use their own bodies for a source of money-making. And I think that wasn't the way it was even 10 years ago before Instagram existed. What do you think about that? I think it's a, it's a really interesting observation, especially when you're pointing to the split that people have between their online identity and then the kind of who they are in real life. Absolutely. And when you think about Instagram and how focused it is on looks and yes, sexuality, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. using their bodies and monetizing that in a way which could be a range of different activities from just, you know, butt shots, mm -hmm. kind of um, influencer, all exactly. the way up straight yeah. up prostitution. Yeah, exactly. When you think of things like Snapchat, which have uh, now OnlyFans, I don't know if you know much about OnlyFans. It's this site where you pay a Snapchatter for private snaps. They mm -hmm. advertise themselves and like kind of provide a preview of what could happen. And then once you provide, you know, cash or a sense of monetary value, then you're, you have access to more of their body and more of private things. And I feel like that's really kind of turned a corner of what we thought social media could be and what it really is right now. Right. So that's kind of like the cam girl experience is what it was kind of 10 years ago. And now it's yeah. evolved beyond that. Exactly. Exactly. To the point where you can provide, you know, these snaps to individual people. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you might have to set up a certain time to be online. 
X, Y, Z. Now you can just, you know, pull down your shirt, take a snap of your boobs and send it off for $10. <laughs> yeah, you can do it from anywhere. Right? Exactly. You do it from your regular job. Just go off to the bathroom and do what you're doing. So yeah. is this something that you're seeing a lot of in your environment, like locally, or is this something that you're just kind of observing as a wider trend? What I see generally in my profession is that I see girls who are trying to find the best way to market their bodies online. Um, it, it comes down to the point where they're saying, you know, it's my personality. It's what I want to show about myself. But then when you look at the pictures that they want to show, it's all, you know, girls and thongs at the beach, girls in bikinis. Uh, it's not really anything of substance. But they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm providing information or you know connecting with my audience online but are you really connecting with anyone or are you just providing your body for a source of entertainment I think there's a a definite a disillusion between the person who's liking the picture and the person who's posting the picture from one end they might really feel that they're connecting with their audience but from the audience's perspective I really feel like they just think this is a girl in a bikini and I'm going to press like. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't really see it as much more depth than that. Yeah, and even on that note, um, I read a very interesting article in the New York Times from late 2019 that was talking about how people are now actually modifying themselves to, you know, fit their Snapchat filters, to fit oh, yeah. their Instagram filters, you know? When, when people walk into... A cosmetic surgeon's office, mm-hmm. they pull out their phone with a picture of them with their Snapchat modified face and say, I want to look like this. Hmm. You know, they've developed these complexes around sex and, and attractiveness and their own personal identity to the point where they're not even connected with themselves. So how can they make a genuine sexual connection with somebody else? You know? Yeah. So say more about what the impact of this online-offline split could be for a young person trying to find their way in this world. They're just trying to navigate their own sexuality and figure Mm. themselves out. What are some of the, the issues that they are facing? I'm personally talking from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I, I'm not a teenager right now. I'm, you know, 25, 26 years old. I really don't understand what it's like to be 16 years old and to be going through these things. I'm very, very happy that we as a generation perhaps only experienced Facebook, which was bad enough, <laughs> and yeah. Instagram, you know, in the later years. But uh, I know kids growing up right now who are using phones and iPods from the age of I don't know, three, four, five, from the time that they can pick up something and swipe, they're able to be online and see these things. When it comes to being a teenager and developing a sense of sexual identity, I think it can be difficult to separate yourself from the likes. I've noticed over the years that I see younger women, especially, I'm not sure how much it actually affects guys. I think they they kind of do more of the scrolling and the liking. I don't know how much you agree with that. I've read some research on the topic because I also work in social media. It has actually been proven that young women are more negatively affected by Mm. social media because we are more 
focused on reputation. So yes, I that's true. being like a teenage girl and everything was about the gossip and who was this and who was that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So because we're naturally wired that way, having this externalized kind of ranking system mm. affects us more as females than it does men or young boys. From looking at things on maybe Instagram and Twitter specifically, I can see that women kind of rank themselves by followers. They constantly compare themselves to other girls of their age. Why am I not getting enough likes? Mm-hmm. She gets more likes than me. You know, when I put my picture up on Twitter, why am I not getting tweets? Mm-hmm. Um, and they connect this online persona to their own self-worth. And I think that is truly detrimental. I'm not sure how parents are dealing with it specifically. I think it could be really difficult to be able to tell your child, yes, you're beautiful. Yes, you're awesome. You know, you, you deserve everything in the world. And then their online world is telling them the opposite. How do they feel? Mm-hmm. For them, this online world is as real as the real world. It, and it's, sometimes even more it's real. It's not separate. Even more real. Even yeah. more real. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, especially if you're the type of person who has a lot of problems in the real world or trouble at home, this can be kind of the way that you escape into another reality. And then it becomes what you are and what you have and what you do. Exactly. Generally speaking, most children going into adolescence from this age on will be affected by social media. And I don't really think it's something that we can reverse. I think at this point, it's how do we now, knowing that our children are affected by these things, uh, find a way in real life to counteract, <laughs> mm-hmm. reverse, complement how they're feeling online. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in this day and age, we're in 2020, 2021, we're literally living in the future. How do we really say this is it, you know, it's not real, it's fine, you know, what happens online, it's not real life. But knowing from our own experiences that what happens online does affect what you do in real life and vice versa. So social media is the one aspect and that is, you know, heavily affecting young women. Yes. But the other aspect of like kids being allowed to run wild online is the amount of pornography that they have Mm -hmm. access to. And this has been linked to all sorts of issues with young men from being, you know, a little bit more sexually aggressive Mm -hmm. in this generation coming up to having erectile dysfunction at a very young age. What are your thoughts on the effects of pornography? I think pornography is a very, very slippery slope. Um, Obviously, there's the glaring fact that it's not real it's all fake Mm -hmm. these are paid actresses and actors who are performing in front of the camera you know for the sake of a paycheck and I think that that narrative isn't pushed enough Um, people say over and over real sex isn't like porn and yet you have thousands millions even billions of men going online and consuming porn day by day and then going out into the world and expecting similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think it's detrimental to everyone. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good at all. Um, of course, everything in moderation, but we have 
even sites now where people are trying to rid themselves of this addiction. Um, it's been scientifically logged as an addiction, you know, pornography as an addiction in real life. Yeah, I think there's a definite link between aggression in males and what they see online. I would say that most men approach sexual situations based on what they've consumed. Um, and I think that it's having a negative effect on sex on a worldwide scale, man. I, I, I really think that people don't understand that porn, not only in itself, but the things that go into it, you know, sex trafficking, women who are pressured under duress, people who are participating in porn scenes themselves and cannot even say, look, you need to stop, you know, and those things are, you know, those actions and those aggressive behaviors are what people absorb and think, well, this is what sex is supposed to look like. And this is how sex is supposed to feel. This is how a woman reacts if she's having a good time. You know, mm -hmm. this is what we see. And, and it's just like TV. It's just like TV. You know, I want to be that person. I want to see this thing. I want to be like that YouTube person. But somehow we think that porn is separate from that. And it's really not. Yeah. I think we think of it as separate because it's a more taboo topic. And it's not exactly. something that people are openly discussing with each other. Exactly. Like, these conversations very rarely happen. And I think I could actually, I, I don't know. Have you, have you ever watched porn with a partner? With a partner? No. Do you think that would open up your, you know, your experiences, what you like, what you don't, your preferences? Do you think it would be beneficial for you and a partner to watch porn together? Or do you feel like it would cause detriment to your own relationship? I'm flipping through my... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm memory now, right? Because I've had exactly. the request before. I've had the yeah. request. And I've always just kind of been like, no. Somehow, for me, porn viewing is a very private activity. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, I don't think I'm self-conscious about what it might mean for my sex life, but I would just mm -hmm. prefer to discuss with my partner things that we're thinking about doing mm -hmm. rather than have them kind of show me a video. Like I've exchanged like gifts and stuff with people, okay. but not actually sit down and watch something. That's interesting. So you feel like a visual representation of what you like is not as clear as, you know, saying, well, honey, you know, this is, this is what I like. Do you think that me and you can do that together? And if they say, well, show me what you like, you'd be like, no, 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 no. We can do it together. <laughs> Whatever we do together will be it. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing, the request hasn't ever really come in that context. It's usually like, hey, I like this kind of porn. Will you watch it with me? I want to do other things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I i believe i would be open in that context if someone was like oh can you describe to me what you like and i'm telling them and maybe they're not getting it and they go can you show me yeah i would be down with that but the whole okay. like, hey let's just watch this because i like it and can we watch this while we're having sex i'm like um yeah maybe. i don't think i don't think i would i would be interested in watching porn while having sex. I don't really see that being of any interest to me. I don't necessarily see 
watching porn together as a recreational couple activity. <laughs> I definitely see it. That's more a good way to put it. A, yeah, I just, I see it more as a personal thing. I definitely think it's a personal thing. People say all the time, "Yeah, I watch porn with my partner." Yeah, you know, I show him what I like. Blah blah blah. But the truth is, when your partner's not there, what you watch might not be the same thing you do when you're, you know, having sex with your own partner. Sure. And is that because you're worried or embarrassed or guilty about what you're watching? Or is it just because you enjoy just watching that thing, but you might not enjoy doing it in person? You know, I think sex and sexual interest is a lot more complicated than we make it seem. Yeah. And the other thing too about pornography is it can be a gateway for you to explore things that you're not sure you necessarily want to try yet, right? So exactly. if you get yeah, an idea yeah. and you're like, what is this like? Mm-hmm. And you watch it and you're like, well, maybe I want to try that someday and maybe seeing it was enough. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Porn has always existed, but it's not like the days where you, you know, your dad had a magazine mm-hmm. or something like that. We now have these algorithms that are designed to keep you on the site as long as possible mm-hmm, by feeding mm-hmm. things that are either more of the same of what you already liked, or mm-hmm. it keeps ramping up the extremity of the content so that there is yeah. this shock value in addition to like the sexual drive, which Absolutely. is what yeah. makes it so addictive. Yeah, I definitely think uh, we're kind of trapped in a cycle right now where the providers, the industry providers, uh, know that we're coming and visiting their sites for certain reasons, and then they can then turn those uh, own interests against us to keep us coming back and coming back. Uh, Like I said before, porn is absolutely an addiction. And if you're seeing everything that you like, why wouldn't you come back, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to come back if you're being fed uh, options, opportunities and freebies convincing you that this is the place that you need to be every night at 11 o'clock when your parents are sleeping. I had a conversation with um, Marcella Jardine and Aisha Fabian for the same podcast series. And one of the things they pointed to was that sexual educations in schools in Antigua and possibly other Caribbean territories is extremely like bare bones, minimal. It's just kind of anatomy. And our kids aren't really being taught about the aspect of intimacy and connection and communication or even basic things like consent. Mm. So if you're getting your education about sex from pornography and not from someone who is a trusted source, a trusted source, a knowledgeable source, someone who has a responsibility to give you good information, mm-hmm. then we're creating a generation of people, potentially, that are lacking all these other like soft social skills that they need to actually have healthy sex lives. I absolutely agree. Um, I don't know if you know about this uh, law in Antigua that allows the husband to have sex with their wife no matter the circumstance right Um, you can't rape your wife yeah basically allowing you to rape your wife legally that's that's absolutely insane i think sex education has a far way to go in the caribbean 
luckily, we are a generation that has been a lot more open with sex than I think our past generation was. Um, I think it can only go up from here as long as the people, the teachers who are involved in sex education are open and willing to have these conversations with the students, it'll go further than what we experienced. I mean, from my own experience, I, I went to Christ the King. You know, I was in a very conventional Catholic mm-hmm. um, situation or environment. Uh, I had nuns teaching me about sex. You know, we had theology classes where they said, sex before marriage is illegal before God, you know, and all these things. And um, from a very young age, you know, sex was demonized. It was taboo. Um, Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Abstinence is the only way. Don't even think about being, you know, gay at all. Homophobia was, you know, high on the list. Mm -hmm. This is something that was taught in school. You know, and and I think that's, you know, social media has kind of opened a pathway. Uh, the fact that people are more open about sexuality has opened a pathway. The fact that we can talk more about mental health. All of these things are benefiting the next generation. But it doesn't mean anything if we don't go into the schools and provide a foundation for all of that to build on. And it really depends on us, the generation that are growing now and, you know, creating our own legacy for the people who come after us to then say, well, sex is a part of life. It's a natural part of life, which should be enjoyed, you know, at the right age with the right person. We need to provide information about how you can enjoy sex with your partner safely, comfortably, with consent. Um, I think we need to push the idea that you can have a sexual relationship that's healthy from a young age um, and just kind of let go of this archaic tradition of saving until marriage. I mean, how many of our parents are actually married, man? Let's be real. That is such a good point because we were talking about this in the other sex episode as well. And just the way that we say it, like we say, oh, you know, getting married and then having children or having sex is the norm. And I'm like, yeah. isn't the norm what the majority of people do? Because you think, right? it certainly <laughs> is not the norm. It's in the Caribbean. not the norm. It's not the norm. It's not the norm at all. And, you know, growing up as a woman specifically mm-hmm. and knowing that a man can do whatever he wants and that you can't do anything, you know, it kind of creates this sense of, uh, okay, I call it I call it the spice mentality, where you go from one the end spice? of the spectrum. The, sp- the spice mentality, okay. uh, where you go from one end of the spectrum, where you're happy being and uh, you know a nice little innocent abstinent girl, to becoming the skin out the pom pom, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's no in between. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no there's no healthy intermediate where you can enjoy safe consensual sex with someone your age or in your age group and not feel pressured and not feel demonized and not feel afraid and honestly what what is so scary about sex man it's it's not that bad (laughs) (laughs) it's scary because of how much shame and weight is placed on it Mm -hmm. by like you're saying teachers in school who are Mm -hmm. telling you 
you know, you're going to get STDs, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to bleed. And it's built up to be this thing that should be avoided at all costs. When it should be something that's celebrated. You know, every species on Earth is focused on reproduction and we're focused against it. In word, but not in deed. Yeah, exactly. Our actions do not match our words. And I'm, I'm really, really hoping that we can come out of, you know, 2020, 2030 with a generation of children who understand that sex is about reproduction and sex is with somebody that you love and care about. And sex is a lovely, healthy thing that you can do if you want to, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to. And if you don't, it's fine, too. It's not the end all and be all of any relationship. It's not all that a woman is worth or capable of, you know, I, I think we're, we're kind of conditioned to think that a pussy is the only thing that a man is interested in. That's all he wants, that's all he wants. He don't want nothing else, you know? How can you trust anyone or even begin to have a healthy relationship when you go into it thinking this is all he wants? So this question just kind of popped into my head and you don't have to answer it if you don't feel comfortable. Sure. But I was curious about your early experiences with sex on the net. I know for me, I got the internet around the age of 11 mm-hmm. when I was just starting secondary school. And the big thing at the time was kind of these AOL chat rooms. And oh, you yeah. go in there... <laughs> <laughs> and like find people that have these little like sexy chats what they call oh, it cybering yeah. at the time yeah I was just curious to know if you had any of those kinds of experiences like what was the platform absolutely I definitely did um, I remember my first sexual experience online was uh, looking up I just uh, typed something into my search bar and my one of my older cousins had been over a week before or two weeks before and I guess we'd gone on a porn site and I don't know back then if it was incognito or didn't exist or whatever. Oh, so I was, like, I was like, what? Black girls online? I remember clicking it and I just saw enormous butts and pussies everywhere. I was oh, like, my. oh my God. <laughs> I oh, closed my. it off as soon as I could, you know, but, you know, it opened the floodgates. Um, mm-hmm. I even remember being on MSN Messenger and talking to you know, guys from grammar school and guys from St. Joseph Academy, people I didn't even know at all, complete strangers on the <laughs> internet. And definitely there was some things I probably shouldn't have reading, have been reading or saying online at the time. And, you know, my parents had no idea what I was doing. That was the honest truth. Uh, they <laughs> thought I was talking with friends. They thought I was, you know, playing games online. And the truth was absolutely on the other end of the spectrum. And I can't imagine what it must be like now with kids who are three and four who can unlock their parents' iPods and iPhones and iPads and do whatever they want because they know exactly what to do. Yeah, the lack of parental control. And the young people know more about the technology and are more comfortable using it than the parents. So the idea that the parents are going to somehow be able to stop them or control them is or even know laughable. what's going on they have no you know Im- imagine us at that age and our parents now imagine us as parents and the generation coming after us it's just yeah. it's totally it's unfathomable mm-hmm. yeah 
The other thing too is, you know, I remember like being online at the age of 11, lying about how old I was and mm-hmm. talking to people who were very inappropriately much, much older. Oh yeah. And again, your parents have no clue. And this is do how remember, trafficking do you remember, uh Do you remember ASL? Oh yeah. Age, oh, sex, yeah. location. Age, sex, location. Age, sex, location. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yep. Your first introduction to anybody is like, okay, ASL. Yeah. ASL, ASL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I lied every time. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, you think back about like, okay, what could have happened here? I'm talking to like a 40-year-old man from Florida. Yeah. You know, and I'm pretty like, sure he, he was not there for conversational reasons <laughs> no yeah not i mean it's, it's always uh hindsight is twenty twenty. i think the real push going forward is going to be making sure that kids know both online and offline how to protect themselves um mm. it can't be about sanctioning them it can't be about trying to close them off from it they're so ingrained in this that their real life and social media and the online world are linked inextricably. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't separate it. Um, and so at this point, we have to kind of focus on, well, they're there now. How do we make sure that they can be protected where they are? How do we know that they're, you know, supplied with the knowledge and the ability to discern right from wrong, good from bad, safe from unsafe, they need to be able to know how to navigate the world that they're living in now because nobody else is going to teach them except us. And I really think that's what we need to focus on going forward. Beautiful. And finally, for anyone who's listened to this conversation and is interested in learning more about you and keeping up with your doings, where would be the best place for them to follow you online? Uh, I think the best place to follow me would be uh, on Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Rosa Parks the Benz. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm also on Instagram at Sailor Vibe, that's C E S T L A B I B E. It's French, yes. Um, but I'm mostly active on both Instagram and Twitter. And if you guys want to engage in conversation with me or follow me online, please feel free to do so. Um, I'm open to DMs, conversations, reply to anything. And I'm open to talking about anything. So just hit me up. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Rosalie. I really appreciate you taking the time today. And this has been an awesome little chat. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? Consider leaving a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, Let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsanu. Or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is...
Grassroots Radio.